Okay, uh, I am, I'm going to actually go ahead and get started. I know I didn't, I'm not being as benevolent as last week, um, but this, this is, disclaimer, this is, uh, I was telling my wife this too, this is uh, going to be a challenging lesson um, for me as well, be, like ex- trying to explain this, so um, just be ready. My recommendation is... Uh, if you can, you might have to go back and listen to this again, or if you have a way to write notes, that would be good too, or probably both. Um, so, uh, like I was telling her, um, I think we're going to really have to put our thinking caps on today. So, I just pray that I can like do a decent job so that everybody doesn't have just the the look of what in the world is he talking about? So, um, so, but, but if you are wondering, so what, I, what I'm going to try to talk about this week is God's oneness, um, his unity, and touch a little bit on uh, divine simplicity, which, now see John smiling, he knows, uh, like I know, that um, it's, it's ironically the least probably simple subject uh, to actually talk about. So. Well, that's true too, but, um, but I noticed, you know, the expression as I said that. So um, before we do get started briefly from last week, um, for those of you who were here, what did we, can anybody like kind of summarize what we talked about? I know that's a really open-ended question, but, and then we'll get to our scripture and ask the Lord to bless our time. But um, it's important that we kind of review that because it's going to draw off of that. I said last week that uh, what we talked about is going to like haunt us the rest of the time. So what, what did we talk about? God. We did. To, that's, that's a wonderful answer, yes. Uh, specifically, go ahead. Okay. Um, how is it that we do know God then? By his revealing himself to us? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what was that? What, what was that called? Just, just for definition. Yeah, univocally. Okay. okay. He, he takes better notes than me. No, that's fine. Um, option two was equivocal speech, mm-hmm. which can have completely different meanings. Um, that was confusing and made scripture unintelligible. Right. And option three was analogical word speech. Words don't have to have the same meaning, but they are similar. Example. The wine is good, the little boy is good, an example to his ice cream is good, and God is good. Right. Um, it allows us to maintain creator-creature relationship. <coughs> and the final was God's condescension to us, example, his incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no genuine supernatural, supernatural revelation of God that doesn't give up, that doesn't give way to adoration and worship. Exactly. See, so you saved me like 10 minutes. Now I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my time. Um, was, that was the most understandable lesson I've gotten. Oh, great. Well, well um, this one's going to be probably the exact opposite of that. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, we talked about the, the appropriate way to talk about God. That's kind of the summary. Um, so today, um, I only have one verse for you. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. It's just, uh, I say just, um, meaning just one verse. Um, it's an important verse. John one fourteen. we could probably recite that from memory. Um, 
but uh, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and read it real quick and uh, bless our time. John 1.14 says, this is the word of God. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Let's, let's bless our time. Lord, we ask uh, that you come, uh, Lord, that you do bless this time, Lord, that you make uh, these words, this, this lesson understandable, uh, Lord, so as to make yourself understandable. God, some difficult concepts are going to be touched on today, and I pray that we would um, not only be paying attention, but Lord, that we, we understand that without your illumination, without the Holy Spirit, uh, that we can really understand none of these things and how they apply to us. And Lord, we want to know you better. We want to know you more. And so I pray that what I say will be articulate in such a way that it will be um, understandable to uh, my listeners. And Lord God, I ask that you prepare us for worship in this. Lord, that we ultimately see that we have one transcendent God who is uh, first, and first and foremost and also the last. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask again, Lord, that you would that you would bless this time and this day. Amen. Okay, so um, with saying that, so uh, I, I chose that verse because, I, I mean, I think it should be for obvious reasons, but, um, you know, we're trying to start, we're going to start getting into the incarnation here pretty soon. Uh, but um, kind of how last time I said, well, you know, the, the, the incarnation is something that I think we kind of take for granted, but... This verse tells us that, yes, the Word, the divine Son of God, God Himself, came down and assumed flesh, and, and that that happened. But more so that to help us, as we especially go through this series, to, to ponder on that, like what that means, not only what that means for us and our salvation and our relationship and communion with God, but, but like how, how is this possible in so far as we can understand it of course so um i want you to be thinking about that in the background so um kind of by way of introduction so i think uh some time ago i can't remember how long it was uh i gave a sunday school on monotheism does anybody remember that like just general it, it was a while back um i'm sure it's in the archive somewhere and we I remember in that lesson, we briefly went over some particular aspects, I think, that characterize a monotheistic religion and why, as it should follow, uh, that there can only be one true God. Okay. Now, in that lesson, of course, for the sake of uh, time and simplicity, I went ahead and, of course, assumed that that monotheistic religion is Christianity. Um, and indeed, I think that's, uh, you know, I'm saying that because I'm, I'm going to do that today as well. Um, uh, as we talk about the unity of God, hoping that as we move forward in this series, you'll sort of see why, uh, maybe in a more ancillary way, admittedly, but you'll see why that having actually a robust Christology and understanding the doctrine of Christ means and supports that this one true God is actually the Christian God. And so um, a disclaimer there, though, I'm not saying that understanding these things or reasoning about these things alone actually um, 
from good and necessary consequence, uh, actually like leads itself to salvation. So I want us to always keep in mind, um, of course we shouldn't have to be told this, but always keep in mind that um, the instrument of our salvation is faith alone and the object of our faith, uh, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, I know that sounds, it's like, yeah, preachy, of course, but um, he's the, he is the foundation on which all this doctrine and stuff and knowledge that we're going to be talking about flows out of. Um, so I think that that, uh, at least for me, that um, um, gives, makes me a little more humble about talking about these things, which is why I'll ask today to forgive me if I say something that's completely unintelligible. So, and just stop me if you have a question. Um, uh, one of my favorite, I mean, and, and to support that, I, I was thinking about this again, sorry, side notes. Um, I was thinking about this. One of my favorite hymns, I know it's one of Miss Bunny's favorite hymns too, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted, I think uh, provides like uh, a good, at least, at least the last verse, my favorite verse, a good um, picture of, of where, you know, where our hope is actually in the foundation is built. So keeping even doctrine in mind, this is what we should think of. And it reads this way. No, I'm not going to sing it. So sorry, Seth. Um, <laughs> I'm already at a disadvantage without a guitar. So um, it says, Here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost. Christ, the rock of our salvation, is the name of which we boast. Lamb of God, for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. I think that's beautiful. So with that said... Diving into this week's Sunday School, we, we will focus on, again, the unity of God. Okay, we remember doing the first three weeks in theology proper, the unity of God as opposed to his trinity. Um, um, and I'm going to kind of do this. I'm going to kind of try to take an approach that's unfamiliar probably to most here. So, again, bear with me. Take notes. Um, follow me. Be patient with me. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, forgive me where uh, I go wrong. And ask questions. So maybe some of it is just needs to be clarified. Um, so one of the, uh, these, are, these are several of the books that I used for, uh, to prepare for this lesson. But one of these books uh, uh, that Sam Renahan wrote uh, called Deity and Decree. Uh, some of you may know it. If you haven't read it, I highly suggest getting it. But he says this about, uh, about God, and it's something that I think we should keep in mind. He says this, There is no genus of which God is a species. There is no category of which God is an example. There is only one true and living God. There is no other. God is one. God is unique. Okay. So again, last week, we talked about analogical language as the right option for the appropriate way to speak about God, right? Well, I want to give you sort of two more concepts before we dive a little further into the unity of God. Um, I want to give you two more concepts before more moving forward sort of under the category. So, so last week we talked about analogical language. We talked about the ways you could speak about God, but we decided, okay, analogical language is the best way to go. So... Under this category, um, I have two more principles that I think are important for us to understand 
in order to move forward, okay? So, so heading, analogical language or analogy, uh, and two other sort of subpoints. So the first thing would be essence. Essence. So the category of essence. And just quickly defined, all that means is whatness, what something is. So when we say essence, we say that this corresponds to what something is. Okay, everybody with me so far? Okay. The other category would be existence. That's, well, thatness, you know, so isness. Um, and this really just corresponds to that something exists. Okay, so now I want you to follow me for a minute here so that we can get a good grasp on what these two principles of being mean. Um, two principles of being under analogy. It, would, it will be important, I think, for when we, what we mean when we say, when we come to the unity of God, when we say that God is simple. So this is going to be, this is going to be key. So in the material world, it's beyond evident, I think it's even commonsensical, uh, that the world is full of irreducible kinds of things. Okay? Right? Follow me so far? Things like, um, and I don't know why I was just thinking of, like, lots of animals. Um, so, like, kangaroos, elephants, grasshoppers, dogs, cats, and humans. Okay? So, irreducible kinds of things. And some of you may be saying, at least I thought this, uh, well, that's not necessarily true. You could reduce things to their parts. You could reduce, you could reduce, uh, or, are you people mostly dog or cat people in here? Because this is going to matter. Doesn't matter? Doesn't matter? Dog. Dog, okay. So we'll, we'll, then, we'll, then we'll use cats as the illustration. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, maybe thinking, well, I could, I could, um, could take this cat and I'm not trying to be graphic or anything, and you know, take the organs out of said cat, and so the cat is reducible to its organs, and therefore, you know, the statement is false. Well, I mean, my point is is that it's no longer a cat, then, is it? No. So it's irreducible in the sense, in the sense that it cannot be further divided into something else and still be that thing. Okay. By following me so far. That's the point. So, that in mind, let's go back to the two principles of analogy that I was talking about. That a thing is, I'm just kind of summarizing, that a thing is refers us to its existence. Okay? What a thing is refers us to its whatness. You could call that quiddity, or you could call that even the nature of something. Okay? So those would be synonymous or interchangeable. For example, that each of you is in this Sunday school room, um, uh, bless your souls, uh, listening to my Sunday school, um, tells me or tells us on a very fundamental level that you are, okay, that you exist. You know, you're here, you're not outside, you're not somewhere else, or, you know, you're, you, you exist, you are, um, Again, and this is appropriately called existence. What each of you is in this room tells us what you exist as. Okay, so specifically in this case, humans. Yes. So, you know, we don't have any uh, 
cats or dogs listening to this lecture, I don't think. Um, so this is appropriately called essence, and that's what we mean by that. Okay, so just to break that down, that you are is your existence. What you are is your humanity, is your essence. Okay, now you may be saying by now, hopefully you're saying, this is actually pretty easy. Okay, so let's, uh, let's bump it up a notch or two. Let's bump it up a notch. So for finite objects, like humans, it is possible for us to think or conceive of such a thing as humanity, right? Or the essence of humanity. So we can conceive of what a human is like without actually seeing a human. Does that make sense? Okay. So we don't have to affirm that a particular human or person or cat or whatever, catness, um, dogness, whatever, um, is here and actually exists without, you know, without affirming that such a thing as cats exist. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to keep asking that question. I'm going to make sure everybody is with me. So let me illustrate this by way of a question. Say that there's some extinction-level event that occurs. And I don't mean like, you know, um, the judgment. That there will be sort of an extinction-level event, but that's not what I mean. Say that there's some extinction-level event. Humans are wiped off the face of the earth. Um, what happens to the concept or essence or whatness or nature or whatever you want to say that we use for our definition of humanity or humanness? Still there. Why? All these humans are just buried under a bunch of whatever calamitous thing happened. And... Yeah. But they don't exist, technically. But we have existed? We have existed, but they don't exist anymore. So what would make a human still exist? You know, they're not there anymore. What makes them? Yes. So there's a division that we have to acknowledge. Um, I was going to go to, uh, if some, I was hoping somebody would deny this so I could like <laughs> give another illustration, but I was going to say, yeah, well, I'll no, go. Richard, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so like, well, think about dinosaurs, dinosaurs, dinosaurs. So far as I know, um, you know, at least, at least the ones we learned about in school don't exist. Yes, he does. Who? Oh. Well, I'll, uh, I'll leave it to you to um, uh, do that research and present that. And <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the point is, is that we know what a dinosaur is. We're able to give some sort of, and this is important, unifying principle. And then, then this will be important when we get deep into Christology. Or description of what, like, dinosaurs and humans are like. So it's sort of a universal. Okay, that's the important thing to grab onto there. In other words, we can affirm this human or that human or, you know, whatever else um, as an individuation or instance of humanity, say. The point being, and this is important, that something is and what something is are able to be distinguished and separated. Okay? All right. Consider further. So we're, we're, we're bumping it up some more. All right, consider further. For finite creatures, this means that we can have the 
essence of humanity, so we're talking about humans, or what it means to be human, the nature of human, without ever exhausting that essence. With me so far? (laughs) So for finite creatures, this means that we can have the essence of humanity, or what it means to be human, without ever exhausting the essence of humanity. Yeah, that essence. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Or let me try to demonstrate. Adding, or we wouldn't be the ones to add, or really, I guess it would be creating, um, more and more humans to this essence. So creation of more humans to this essence. Remember, there's a division. God could keep going on with this ad infinitum without ever exhausting the human essence. Right? Yeah. Okay. That's what that's kind of what that's what I mean. Okay, so so in other words, there could never be a moment where the essence of humanity sort of runs out of room, like there's a tank being filled up or something. Okay, so you know where God goes. Sorry, all out of human essence. The next thing I create is going to have to be something else. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so that's what I mean by that. So by the same token, too, though. Or sort of on the on the other side of that coin, and this is really important to grasp as we get into thinking about the infinite. There could never be one human, or one existent human, that would represent or only way I can think about putting this is fill up the entirety of what humanity or humanness is with the totality of its existence. Does that make sense? You start to see the creature creator dis- creature distinction come like bubbling to the top a little bit, maybe. Could you give an example of that last thing? Yeah, so 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 there couldn't be like there couldn't be one person or say say me or I don't know, you could you could pick any person, um, that would that I could say, you know, I I am I am humanity and I exist. Sort of. I, I think that might, might be a good way to say it. Yeah, so it's like not just prototypical, but that, that there's nothing, no, no other humans to be added. Be, I'm it. Like, I am humanist. You're human and everything that is human is you and everyone else who is human is you. Yes. Okay. okay. So again, you're starting to see, see the difference between creature and creator. Okay. Okay. Stay with me. But for the infinite... This distinction between essence and existence is impossible. It's impossible. The separation between essence and existence. Since God is totally unique and other and can be placed into no category, say, it is impossible to separate that God is, that exists, from what he is. Okay? He, that, he's, he, that he is divinity itself. All right. In other words, God is his essence, is his existence, or his essence is his existence. He is being. He is being itself as a kind of a larger way to say that. So there's no like instance or moment where like God is like sort of trying to fill up the essence of who he is. Follow me so far? Yes. You can say no. I was, I, was, I was talking about this with my wife very briefly, and she was like, 
Okay, just try to explain it better. <laughs> okay, but, but the takeaway here, okay, the takeaway. Um, that God, so when we're talking about the infinite, God is both his essence and existence, and we'll see in a little bit why he has to be. Um, and again, by the word essence, when we speak of God, we mean, and I'm quoting again uh, Sam Renahan, we mean one pure and mere act. And think of act as like fully existent, um, if that makes any sense. Um, I'll kind of expound on that, or try to in a little bit. One mere act by which God is God. This means that God is pure being. Okay, he is purely existent. Does that make sense? And what he is, is purely existent divinity. Best way I know how to oversimplification, but it's the best way I know how to say it without uh, seeming incoherent. <laughs> so, um, the second takeaway of this essence is nature, quiddity. We talked about quiddity, essence, nature, quiddity. Thus, is also a unifying principle for those who belong to whatever essence you want to say. So, like catness, dogness, humanity. Um, that's the unifying principle among us, right? And there are different, of course, individual human beings, but what unites us as a species is our humanity, right? Okay, again, I hope, if, you're, if you're thinking about that, I hope you're in see, seeing why that will be important later as we get into Christology. You know where I'm going with that? You can say no. But think about how that would apply to Christology. Now, again, so last week we talked about Exodus 3.14 and John 8.58. The I am statements. God is telling us, and I would say, you know, based upon you know, what we, all we've said so far, God is telling us much more than he is self-existent. And that's true. That's what you, you do get that from the text. Okay, He's telling us much more than that. He's telling us that he is... Pure, uncompounded being. He's saying that he is existence itself and that God and, and that a God that is and gives being to all other things can certainly deliver a few measly Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians. You see that? Okay. I'll take that as a yes. Okay, so with that um, tenuous foundation... Um, let's talk about how God is simple or the simplicity of God. And like I said before, this is the least simple doctrine probably there is about God. So um, it's ironic. Um, what, I mean, what do I mean by this? Does anybody have any, have any um, want to venture a guess or, or if you know? God can't be parts. Right. It's about parts. Any other definitions? I'm not saying you're wrong. Anything else? Okay. All right. So, again, remember, God is pure being and one pure and mere act by which he is who he is. I am. Or as Puritan John Norton puts it, he puts it this way, and I think it's great. He says, simplicity is God, one mere and perfect act without all composition. God calleth his name, I am. 
That is, he calleth himself mere essence, wherein is nothing past nor to come. In other words, God is not made or composed of parts. And if you're thinking about parts, um, I think it's natural for us to think physically. Of course, God doesn't have a body. Um, We talked about that last week. Hopefully we got that settled. Um, But not just like, no, he doesn't have arms or legs or anything like that. But he's not composed of like immaterial parts as well. So, you know, like, um, well, I'll get into that. Don't worry about that. So what does it mean, though, that he's not composed of parts? What does that mean? I know I'm sort of kind of repeating myself, but I'm trying to get us to think from different angles. He's not created. Not created. Yeah. So that's a good point because I didn't actually have that in my notes and I was going to forget. Um, If you're composed of something, then it would follow, right, that there has to be a composer. Somebody has to put the parts together. Right? Okay. Yeah. That means also that God wouldn't be first. So who's the, who's the creator of the parts and who's the composer? Anyway, you could keep pushing that back. Um, it's counter to him being infinite, too. Yep. Yep. It's counter to him, and we'll, we'll see this um, as, we, um, as we continue. It's counter to him being God in the first place. Um, so, yeah, the short answer is, is, is that it mean, what it means that he's not composed of heart, the short answer is that God is absolute. He's not reducible to something more basic than he is now. Or, you could go the other way, by addition, undergo any sort of change, which, again, he would be reducible. Okay? Like, I mean, God can't be, God can't be more loving. He can't be more... Just, he can't be more wise, more powerful, or more knowing, uh, or even more alarming, less those things. Uh, in fact, God is those things. He is those things all at once, and he is by definition that. Um, is your mind blown yet? I mean, it's, this blows my mind every time I think about it. Um, our confession of faith in chapter 2. Paragraph 1, I read part of this last week, but I want to read a little more. It says, The Lord our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passion. So, it's not a new doctrine, very old. It's not something that we're just kind of... Uh, waxing eloquent on or something like that. Um, It's part and parcel to confessing who God is. So in God, we cannot make a real distinction either between God's attributes, nor can we make a real distinction between God's attributes and his essence as well. Um, Put simply, does anybody see what I did there? (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate that. Uh, God is God, and whatever is in God is God. Again, he simply says, I am. I am. Now, let's just stop for a minute and think about how the Sunday school was introduced. How did I introduce the Sunday school? Who, who was listening? Or if you were here? Saying that this was going to be extremely difficult. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I started talking about... <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, but, 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 <laughs> what? <laughs> I know I started talking about monotheism. So I started talking about monotheism. Um, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but you're starting to see, given everything we've said about hopefully existence and essence, why it is logically impossible for there to be more than one God. It's logically impossible. Okay. So, and this all has to do with our understanding of simplicity, which all this goes together. I hope you understand. So let me ask a question. If essence and existence could be distinguished in God, if there was a real distinction, would he be simple? No. Yeah, so hopefully by now we've arrived at that. No, because that's a form of composition, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So what are the entailments? What are, like, so, so, let's, so let's entertain the question a little bit so, to help us kind of see. Um, what are the entailments? if we were to affirm that there is a real distinction between his existence and his essence. I'll, I'll kind of try to help, help out here. There's a distinction that you don't have monotheism nowadays. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, so to that, we've now created a sort of divine genus. Right? We've created sort of a divine genus. Now we potentially, potentially don't have just the Christian God filling that genus, but instead are opening the possibility that other divine beings could fill that genus or category. And, and this, this is, this is um, frightening to me. We also have to admit that we don't any longer have a real definition of what it means to be divine in the first place. Because that's already predicated of one divine being. So you're saying you have that same inexhaustible essence, or you would potentially have that same inexhaustible essence you were just talking about. Yeah. Well, it's essentially the essence wouldn't be inexhaustible because you've, right. yeah, you've divided it. Um, so yeah, so, so, so since we're no longer relegating the place of divinity, pure divinity to one being or pure actuality, um, it's becomes a little more difficult or impossible to define what godness is, if you will. Have I followed so far? We're almost through this. Okay. Another entailment is we've created the potential for God to change, and this is probably the most important, um, or at least the most important entailment for a a little bit easier for us to understand, but, but as far as like how we think about God, the most important entailment. And it does so, it predicates change in God or puts the potential that God can change in a couple of ways. And I want to kind of give what those are. So the first thing, remember what essence is. What is essence? I'm trying to... Is essence is whatness. Whatness. Okay. So whatness. Okay, and if we're able to affirm God's whatness apart from his isness, then what do we have? We, we're essentially saying that it's possible for God not to be, right? At least in possibility. Here's another thing, second thing. If he is a member of a divine genus, even, even, if, he's only the, if, he, even if he's the only actual member, okay, Remember, he, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, 
in essence, um, fill up that fill up that essence. Um, so we would be then putting potentiality or granting the possibility that God can be better or worse than He is now. You follow me. Absolutely. Yep. Now, God, because he could, be poten- uh, he could potentially move from one existent state to another, as humans do, that's what we do. Like, we borrow uh, each moment from, you know, essentially God. Our existence is every, every moment sustained by him. So if he moves from one state of existence to another or passes through those states of existence successively, this means there is, in fact, a before and after in God. Follow me there? Is that to say it would would kind of limit him to being, like, it would make him finite in a sense? Yeah. What What is time? I mean, then the most rude, I think the most rudimentary definition there is it's a measure of change. Yeah. So in that sense, he's no longer eternal in the sense of in the normal sense of the word. Okay. Not done yet. Third thing, change would also entail a lack of perfection then all of his attributes are in jeopardy then. He isn't omniscient. He isn't immutable. He isn't immense or omnipresent. He isn't omnipotent. He isn't all wise, all good, all just, all those things. And the next, it should follow, if all his attributes are subject to change or being bettered or worse than they currently are, then so is his word subject to change. So the Bible that you hold in your hand is subject to, well, I'll change my mind. That also means his promises are subject to change. That also means your salvation is up for grabs. That's frightening. Indeed, I think to deny divine simplicity is to affirm that God really isn't God at all. And you can see, and I hope, and these, these are just a few things. The whole thing just kind of unravels just falls apart so every you know what the whole point is to get you to thinking about God you know rightly Um, if God is composed in any way whatsoever this is what divine simplicity is all these things I said would would follow in some way we would have at best at best a superhuman version of ourselves Really. Um, And indeed, it would mean that Christ, so bringing it back to Christology, Christ is in fact not the same yesterday and today, yes and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. But thanks be to the unchanging one true and simple God of the universe who condescended to us and spoke finally, and most fully through his one true divine son. Try to leave some time for some questions. That's all I have. Thanks for bearing with me. Let's be like you.
just think about even God being composed of parts that you can either add or take away. Even going back to our illustration of like what is the cat, like if you have a cat and it gets hit by a car and loses its leg, but it's still living, it's still a cat. It's still a cat, uh huh. But you can't do the same with God. You can't take away part of God and him still be God. Like all those, but and then you're kind of like talking almost as part, but all, all of that has to necessarily be contained. Yeah, and, and, and I didn't say this, uh, but it also shows that God is the only necessary being. It is necessary for him to exist. It's not necessary for us to exist. We're contingent beings. So that's a good point. Do you rename the cat <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that's always been helpful for me, I think I heard Arthur's role, which is one time it's, it, the confession uses the word subsist. Mm-hmm. We talk about existence. It's classically the definition of existence means you're there because of some sort of outside force that comes upon you. Like mm-hmm. We exist. Everything that we see exists. God subsists mm-hmm. because he's um, self-determining. You know, mm-hmm. nothing outside of himself yeah. makes him there. You know. Yep. So. That's something that's always been real helpful to me. Think about the subsistence of God and the existence of everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, that brings up the question that I've argued with, with others who deny God being mono is if you can't be divided, then, and I know conceptually the correct thing, then you have the Holy Spirit and you have Christ who, mm-hmm. by our finite understanding, are separate. But we understand that it's God. Mm-hmm. So how um, you'll probably get this in the Christology, I'm assuming. Actually, next week, because um, I know that I know that question, like that, has to come up in your mind at some point. It's like, well, then. Yeah. So how does simplicity jive with Trinity? I'm looking forward to you explaining to us the hypostatic union. <laughs> I am looking forward to it as well, Seth. <laughs> so, could you uh, could you give some examples of, to people about like um, either like cults or like branches of Christianity that even if they don't maybe know they're doing it are making this mistake and like they're, like the ramifications of that in their lists, or in their or in their like worship and stuff? Yeah. Um... I mean, like, uh, if you if you say, for example, that um, I think I think one of the most common mistakes. Yeah, I, this actually I think occurs in in you know among us, like like in in, in our camp, even in some reform circles, um, that uh, we think of God, and I think this is just an error in our thinking, um, that we think of God as a composition of attributes. You know that you know uh, if, once you put kind of like. Uh, who watched Captain Planet? Come on. <laughs> it's kind of like Captain Planet. It's like, you know, once your powers combine, you make Captain Planet. It's like he's composed of all these things, and then you get God. Um, uh, but, that's in, you know, but that's incorrect, because that makes 
God composed, if we, if we are to think about it that way. That means that if you were to take away those attributes, or theoretically you could take them away, then what do you have? I think, yes, you had her hand up for it. Yeah, so 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 I'm I should have clarified this. Um, God's works. So so when I say theology proper, we're talking about God as God ad intra, if you want to say it that way, uh, versus what God does in His works ad extra. So clearly, we perceive the difference between um, uh, justice and love and mercy and all those other things. That's why. And that's why I started out this series with, that's why we speak of God analogically. Because at some point, the analogy just tells us to stop and bend the knee, you know, so, and say you're God. Is that what you were asking? Um, so, like, with the son of God's attributes, his creator, mm-hmm. and his attribute is not contingent, mm-hmm. his, his action of uh, that's a great question that I can direct you to some good papers on, <laughs> and it's and it's uh, there, there's a, there's great answers for that. Um, but um, if if I were to go into this here, I think that um, that would be a whole nother lesson. But yes, he is eternal creator, um, and he does so. The, the the short answer is is that his will is also one act. Um, so, um, but that but that doesn't that doesn't make it necessary that he must. Have created, so. Um, so he doesn't have to be crazy for his own. Well, right. Glory and joy, but he did not have to. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's a that's another complicated discourse. That yeah, that's a good question. Good question. So, um, but maybe I can point you to some stuff for everybody. Maybe sake here. So anyway, what else? I, I think we're running out of time. So maybe like one more question. Do you have one, Lauren? Oh, I got it. I, you go. Okay. I mean, well, I was just going to ask, are, are you in a future lesson going to go into more like how we can think of love and justice and, and other attributes of God in a way that is distinct in some conceptual way without, while at the same time understanding that they are not different things about God? Um, probably, pro- for lack of time, probably not. Okay. Um, now, I can... Uh, Maybe in the next lesson, so I'm going to try to show next lesson why simplicity is not only, not only compatible with the Trinity, but also necessary for the Trinity. And so I'm hoping that we can get into, maybe we can get into some odd extra, the works of God and conceptual distinctions. And, uh, Does that be the correct terminology? Or based on what we talked about here, is it correct I don't think it's incorrect terminology. I just think that we have to uh, distinguish what we mean when we say attributes and what we mean when we say how they exist in God. Um, and like I said, in God, there's not a distinction between attributes because he is what he is. You wouldn't be able to do that. Like I said, how, how I don't know. That's where the... Na- yes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I was, I was trying to come up with getting there, but you were saying it's kind of hard not to think of God as a 
a list of attributes kind of smashed mm-hmm. together, but the attributes fall out of God rather than God being like like He reveals the attributes to us mm-hmm. rather than the attributes making Him up. Right, right, yeah. So we perceive them in creation, right? And that's the fundamental difference. God isn't creation. Uh, and so, again, going back to the first lesson, that's why it's so important to understand the analogy of language. Yeah, this isn't getting hard, is it? <laughs> okay, uh, we have to, uh, of course, go. Uh, John, would you pray for us, please? Father, I thank you for the time that we've had this morning to um, consider some really uh, difficult thoughts about um, the way that we can understand who you are uh, insofar as we are capable in our finitude. I pray that this would be something that would um, cause us to think more about your glory, that we would not get caught up on uh, understanding the details mentally, but that it would simply remind us of the fact that we are so much less than you as mere creatures and that it would cause us to worship you. Father, I pray that uh, as we go into this next hour, that that will be our sole purpose and our our focus and our desire. We thank you that you have brought us together, called us out of the sinful world, given us salvation. I pray that we will uh, give you all the glory for that. I ask that you will be with us in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Need some men to move the tables and chairs.